RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Thursday morning already, and that's time for our, well, one of two features we have every Thursday, and that is Money Talks with Fazan Arani, joining the money dots across the world, across the universe. Anyway, Farzan, good to have you with us again this Thursday morning. Hope you're well. Yes, I'm well, Paul, and I'm getting a bit exhausted connecting these dots. They're coming fast at me, so it's going to be fun today as well to talk about some of these. Okay, well, first of all, let's remind if, if people want to get in touch, which they can, uh, what's the best way to do that? Let's uh, let's get that up front. Yeah, sure. Uh, people reach out through successsimplified.life. There should be a contact us at the bottom of the page. Flick me an email, and I'm happy to uh, chat to you guys. Okay, so let's start with something we've already talked about, and that is the – now, what's the official name? The Deposit Guarantee Scheme is the one I remember from last time at the GFC that we had, but uh, it might have another name now. And we were waiting for details of how that would be and what the government puts in place, what, to recompense people up to a certain amount if there is a run or closure or run on the bank or closure of a bank or whatever. So what do we know about that now? Have there been developments? Uh, yes, there have been. So I'd mentioned to people, obviously, what they were calling. First of all, they passed the Deposit Takers Act, the DCT. And then they're talking about a dep uh, depositor compensation scheme, which will come in effect in October 2024. And I think we didn't have exact guidelines of, uh, I had mentioned uh, 0 0.5 to 1.1% of protected deposits, which is about 600 million to 1.4 billion. So I've got some more detail on it. I've had to dig through it, Reserve Bank uh, uh, own website. Uh, they've given you a breakdown of what they're uh, trying to do and how they're going to get these funds ready. And they call it SOFA. So you can lie on so, the SOFA. SOFA, like lying sofa. on the couch. Lying on the couch. It's called Statement of Funding Approach. So... Uh, so far is the cute little acronym they've given us. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend if people want to read through it, flick me an email, make yourself a cuppa, lie on the sofa and read the sofa. Okay. Uh, I'm happy to, <laughs> if people want to reach out to me, I'm happy to email them the document. So you can see what they're clearly telling you in there of how they're going to fund this. And as I said, the money doesn't exist right now. There's, uh, there's someone in the office who thinks of the acronyms. Uh, there must be, mate. There's always QE, QT. Uh, I'll share another uh, be the comms team with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's to make it more palatable and sort of kind of like it is something when they've just just invented it. Okay, so what is that? Just just tell us what the acronym stands for again. What's the full title? Uh, the SOFA is Statement of Funding Approach. Okay, sorry for jumping in, but I, I always suspect uh, you know um, acronyms <laughs> call me suspicious. <laughs> They're trying to sell you something. All right, yeah, of carry course on. They are. Of course, of course they are. So um, obviously, after I mentioned the Deposit Takers Act and what they were trying to do and talk about, uh, oh, we're going to be world class. We've been standards with the rest of the world. I just want to slowly take people again through this document um, just so they can understand. Because a lot of people reach out to me and they say, is my bank safe? They said, I do not give personal financial advice. I'm not on the boards of the balance, uh, every bank in New Zealand, so I'm not quite uh, across that. But I want to read through this document. So the more educated, my job here, uh, contributing to this uh, Money Talk show, 
is just to raise awareness. And my website's called Success Simplified because a lot of people have also given me feedback when they reach out and they said, you simplify it for us, right? Because these goons have tried to make it sound like banking and finance is so complicated and all of that stuff. You try and simplify it for us. And that's my whole point. I could also throw acronyms and jargons, um, which I do understand behind the scenes, but I want to make it simple for the average Kiwi Australian, whoever it is, because the more we understand these concepts, the more we'll be able to make informed decisions about what is happening in our lives day to day and make better informed decisions. So um, coming back to the sofa, um, in the yeah. executive summary, um, they're talking about how they're going to go about doing this, right? And the submissions are open, I think, till the 25th of September. So fellow Kiwis, they're giving you a few more days to get in and have a say in any of this, if you'd like to. Um, do you ever understand how also all of these submissions and all of them have short time frames for us to actually give them some kind of feedback uh, is always the case. Now, just in the executive summary, it tells you which section has what details. And the simple thing, I, firstly, I just want to cover something called section eight. It says section eight seeks your feedback on a preferred range for a target fund size which is 0.5 to 1.1% of protected deposits. And in bracket, this says 0.6 billion to 1.4 billion based on the estimated current level of protected deposits. So we've obviously, they themselves are saying, it's about 1.1% of estimated current level of protected deposits. Section nine seeks your feedback on a time frame to reach the target fund size of between 10 and 20 years. That's another joke in there. So, so over that period of time, yes, as I mentioned, well, anything to people, can happen in the meantime, right? Of course, it it is happening, and yeah, it yeah, will right. happen. So, that, so that's kind of a meaningless somewhere. It out is there. a meaningless. It is yeah, a meaningless. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And I think what I quietly try to do through these radio shows is let people think of what other countries have done, and I mentioned. Um, the Credit Suisse example a couple of weeks back, and I said how they did a backdoor thing. In New Zealand, they're not even hiding it anymore. So I'll, I'm, I'm just taking some notes of what's on what page, right? So I'm going to now talk about on page 14, and as I said, people, happy to reach out to me. I'm happy to email this document. or just go on the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's um, website itself, right? So I'm just going to quickly go to page 14 in this document. And this is what there's a, the whole page 14 only has one thing on it. The government will backstop the depositor compensation scheme. It's in one big gray box. And it really tells you that. So the act commits the government, it commits the government. This is the act they've already signed to lend money to the DCS. If the DCS fund balance is insufficient to meet its payment obligations. Which it will be. Which it will be. Okay. The minister may determine any terms and conditions for providing the funds to the DCS. Example, setting an interest rate for a loan. Okay. So maybe the government will lend it to the banks or to this DCS, which is a depositor compensation scheme, which might have 1.4 billion in 10 years' time. But in the meantime, it's saying the government will be the backstop. The DCS will repay the government with the money recovered from a failed depositor, deposit taker and through levies if the DCS fund is in deficit. Okay, I won't go into too much detail, right? But in the second paragraph, then it says, wow, the government maintains a liquidity buffer of cash and liquid high-quality financial assets. The government currently holds $15 billion as a buffer. 
Wow, that's massive, don't you think, mm. Paul? Mm, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm joking. I'm being sarcastic. Okay, no, no, no. I was just thinking of something fun. else that you just before when you were you posed that one to me, and that is the money that they intend to have in this fund in the next ten years would kind of just cover the interest if the money the money had to be stumped up in the meantime. So that's just future proof, proof future proofing alone interest rate more than anything, isn't it? Well, essentially, just like, as I said, we want to simplify this. So what they're trying to say is, look, we're going to be we catching up with the rest of the world. We're putting a deposit compensation scheme in place. It'll come in effect October 2024, $400,000 per New Zealand depositor yeah. per financial institution. In the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to charge a levy on the banks. And again, in this document, I'm not going to go into too much detail. They've talked about two ways of doing this. One is like an insurance premium that they'll charge most of the banks. And 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 the most important thing is they also have this term, which I mentioned last time, was NBDT, which is non-bank deposit takers. So they've taken a three-step approach to which one of these fails and how much funds do they need. So we've already established that $1.4 ain't going to be enough, right? No. So I want to get to a point where they actually tell us how they've calculated, how they've even come up with this number. So they have on page 19 options for target fund size. And in their assumptions, they've clearly said that we don't even assume there's three scenarios. The failure scenario, resolution of one of the largest five banks, they say not estimated given the low expected likelihood that liquidation would be used over resolution. So what they're trying to say is, in that case, they won't use a resolution, your bank could be liquidated. If you're one of the bigger banks and there's low expected likelihood of one of the big largest five banks and on their document they've said largest five banks so i want people to think through who those five banks are it's obvious yeah well it's obvious and they're just trying to say not estimated because we don't even think that'll happen but if that is then the likelihood that liquidation might be the best option the second option liquidation of one medium-sized bank which would require 1.3 to 3.4 billion dollars and this is how they've come to the conclusion that they might save a medium-sized bank and again the assumption is only one of these fail and the others are just going to stand by and be happy go lucky and they will but, but we know right? that that doesn't happen surely we well, know that um when, when there's a um a, a busted confidence and people are panicking it doesn't matter which bank you're talking about exactly they, they have this thing saying the required upfront payment in the event that a payout of depositors is triggered could reach up to $3.5 billion following the failure of a medium-sized bank. So all they've done is they're saying, we're not even going to bother with this assumption that one of the big banks fail, okay? Because in that likelihood, maybe liquidation is better than a resolution. Mm. But this is how we calculated these amounts. So point 35 says, we are seeking feedback on the appropriateness of a target fund size in the range of 0.5 to 1.1% of protected deposits. Again, when they say protected deposits, that's only your 100K. So not only is the amount small, it's also only 1.1% of protected deposits. Yeah. I want people to understand that again. Um, so anyways, I'll leave but that But understand how they've come to the individual figure of 100,000. They've worked out the amount deposited or the potential liabilities and and that, as it turns out, is about 1%. Is that how they get to that figure? Well, my, they, all they're trying to say is we'll cover 90 93% of uh, Kiwis, right? What happens to the bigger uh, businesses and all that kind of stuff? That's why I said in New Zealand, they're doing a one-off where it's also, we're going to put a deposit insurance scheme in place, but we also have this thing called bail-in, right? So yeah. watch out. Again, I will keep repeating. 
think bail-in. What happened in America earlier this year, all the G20 countries had a bail-in, but they bailed those banks out, and now the bigger banks are taking over the smaller banks. That's an American thing. Maybe that was a first step. I'm not, I'm just, this is me just imagining things. Maybe that was just to show the world that a bail-in is not something that when push comes to shove, people will want to do. So people are more confident saying, no, nah, no, nah, we don't have to worry. The government will bail them out. Maybe the next time there is a bail-in, okay? Because what I want people to start thinking is if there's a bailout, which in this case, they are saying if the DCS doesn't have the funds, the government backstop kicks in, okay? Yeah. So if the government backstop kicks in, we've already told people, our listeners, the government's going to have to print so much money well, not print, well, there's magical digits appearing on a screen and all that, and the government's going to have to borrow, that inflation's just going to go off the roof, right? And um, I, 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 again, just bringing it back to these couple of points, which I mentioned in the last couple of weeks as well, and now it is on the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's own document. On page, uh, on page 20, I think it's page 20 or 21, point 38 the proposed consultation range is broadly consistent with the typical target fund sizes adopted in OECD countries. For example, some countries have significantly larger fund sizes, the United States, while others rely entirely on ex-post funding, which is Australia. So again, they're telling you that in Australia, it's ex-post funding. So the money doesn't exist right now. The, the government's just going to have to bail you out. And point 39 is what I mentioned a couple of weeks back. We note that most comparable jurisdictions have depositor preference. Remember that word, depositor preference, yep. which yep. means that depositors rank ahead of other secured creditors in a liquidation. This results in higher recoveries for the depositor compensation scheme, meaning a lower target fund size as the risk of shortfalls is lower. So they're spinning it as, uh, yeah, yeah, we know other countries have a depositor insurance, uh, depositor preference scheme. So depositors come first and not others, uh, other creditors, smart investors, all of that stuff. Now they take you to point 40. New Zealand will not have depositor preference. And this has been reflected in the proposed range for the target fund size. So they're trying to justify that we won't have depositor preference, which is indirectly telling you part of your 100K could also be bailed in. Or right. anything over 100K could completely be bailed in. So you might have a million and you could lose 900K. You could lose 900K. They are clearly telling you in the document, New Zealand will not have depositor preference. And this has been reflected in the proposed range for the target fund size. And they're saying that is why we're keeping the target fund size small because we don't have depositor preference. Now go and understand what they're trying to tell you. Again, I won't say too much on a radio show, but people please read these documents. So, so what it's sounding like, it's more a limiting um, a, a mechanism to limit what the any compensation um, rather than sort of, <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, if you've got less or up to that amount, I guess that's okay. But but it's drawing a line at that point. After that, good luck. <laughs> you might lose everything. Okay. Well, what, what I mentioned previously was a depositor preference means depositors rank ahead of other secured creditors in a liquidation. Yeah. Okay. So depositors come first. Everyone else can come after the fact, even secured creditors. In New Zealand, what they're saying is the secured creditors and depositors will be equal. So there could be another big financial organization. And remember, banks have derivatives on their books. Uh, 
some of my clients, I do send them links and stuff to have a read through on some of these things. When the G20 bail-in laws were signed in 2014 in Brisbane, you've just got to look at how much money is available or how much banks have derivatives on their balance sheet. Even a year back when the BFF did the, uh, I did the webinars for BFF. In the third week, I had provided people a little triangle with a pyramid showing the amount of derivatives in the world. Derivatives is just gambling. It derives its value from the underlying asset. So a lot of these banks bet on interest rate movements up or down. And I think we've mentioned this on one of the radio chats prior as well. Their derivative exposures are now, people are saying, in the quadrillions. Not trillions, in the quadrillions. Whoa. And that's why okay. these banks are too big to fail, because when one of them goes down, the whole Ponzi scheme unravels. You can't fix a Ponzi scheme. You have to have it unravel. And they're trying to kick the can down the road to not let it be exposed. Is that why there's a, a, a sort of like a preference uh, to consolidate into even larger banks because you just keep consolidating uh, until you end up with what one big bank that well i think again i don't know the exact path where this will go but there will be new zealand already hardly has any banks mate so there's really no competition right um, but the whole point is to consolidate the banks because if they decide to do a cbdc it might be direct but maybe it might be through a couple of banks because banks still need to lend or do assets as we've spoken about the tokenized economy and all of that stuff in previous chats someone's going to have to do all that paperwork so maybe they have a couple of big banks um, talking about when these banks consolidate what you got to understand is they shut down operations of the other banks so you can understand how many bank staff will be losing their jobs and where the unemployment rate will be going as well as is what is happening in switzerland with ubs taking over credit swiss they're just shutting down credit swiss branches because you don't need that many branches anyways so everything has a snowball effect and I, as i mentioned there's no depositor preference why is new zealand one of those countries that is not doing a no depositor preference which means they will also, well, let's just say they will pay their fellow people before uh, depositors get their money. So everyone takes a haircut. The rich guy will take a haircut and the poor Kiwi will also take a haircut is what they're tra traditionally telling you in New Zealand. Um, that's what's going to happen. So, so in the worst case scenario, how much money would need to be stumped up even just to accommodate the $100,000 you know, um, guaranteed amount, let's say, uh, what would, what, what's the ballpark of, of that ultimately adding up to? Well, I mean, we're firstly, up to 15 billion. So it's obviously more than that. Well, the, for, well, the government has 15 billion, remember liquid measures. That's what they're saying. It's the government who has yeah. that liquidity because the government is going to be the backstop. Yeah. You know, they'll come in, but they, but uh, I mean, whoever comes in and if there's a limit of a hundred thousand, there's some sort of anticipation, Maybe one bank goes under a bus, but basically saving or propping up the sector, right? So the whole thing doesn't collapse. That that would be the thinking, surely. Yeah, and 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 they also so read. I would really ask people to read this document because on page twenty one under section nine they talk about a time frame to reach this target fund size. Um, it's just point forty four. We are proposing a time frame for building the DCS fund of between ten and twenty years. To balance yeah, well, the competing considerations described above. So first of all, they're saying we're going to put this levy. We could have a high levy. So the 41st point says this, right? The time frame for building up the DCS fund will affect the timing of costs on deposit takers, which deposit takers bear these costs and the extent that the crown backstop will be called on. So they don't have the funds 
They're telling you how much should we charge as a percentage of these insured deposits? How quickly can we get there? So we're taking a shorter time frame. We take the target fund size will be reached earlier, which means the it's less likely that we'll need the crown backstop. But still, it takes 10 to 20 years. So we don't have the money, man. The government's going to bail them out. Yeah, well, I think it's clear. And that's what I was um, raising before. The money raised from levies, the banks and, you know, what we started talking about seems to be kind of enough to cover interest or fees for a government backstop. So you can at least say, well, it's for the next amount of time, it's like a loan and it's, you know, we're earning interest on it, but you could probably burn through that at some point too. Well, they are because they've given they've given us uh, 0.46, three options. Option A, an approach that priority, prioritizes low upfront costs for the target fund size of 0.5% over 20 years. Option B, a middle ground option with a target fund size of 0.8% over 15 years. And option C, an approach that mitigates reliance on the crown backstop with a target fund size of 1.1% over 10 years. So even in the best case scenario, it's still 10 years with the crown backstop. Yeah. Come on, we know what's going to happen, mate. So, <laughs> uh, you, we, as citizens, we get uh, screwed either way. Whether the bank goes under, they'll bail in your deposits. If it doesn't, the government will bail them out and print crap loads of money and stuff as well. So it's a lose-lose, and it's always the bankers who get bailed out, and the taxpayer takes the hit, right? And yeah, read yep. the document, because there's too much information in there how they talk about all these things um but i'm just thinking this all just become a joke now so hopefully our listeners are going to be much prepared uh for what's coming and hopefully don't hold this information on to yourself right share it with your friends or well not all people who aren't listening but at least people who are willing to listen to what is really happening and they're pro- providing links i had someone who reached out to me just last week obviously i've been busy so i do apologize to people it takes me a while to come back to you because there's quite a few emails and i'm doing my own research for my clients and stuff but she said to me i spoke to my accountant about the bank failing and he laughed it off so i flicked her an email with about three or four links saying please forward this on to your accountant i should have said maybe it's time to change accountants as well so i'll leave it at that mate um share share it with other people so more kiwis wake up to what's going on what don't you think yesterday's I, for the first time in, in years, obviously, I never vote, as I've told people, um, because it doesn't make uh, an inch of a difference. But last night, I watched the leaders debate, and that was an entire joke. It's a mockery of what we call leaders. We don't have leaders. We don't have leaders in this I country. spared myself the pain because I kind of figured what I'd be in for, and I thought I'd just ask other people who watched it what their impressions were. So I'm interested to hear... What you're saying, as I understand it, there wasn't much between the two men. They're basically on the same page, and it's whether you like people with hair or not. <laughs> really, the, maybe well, the um, the decision that that's in front of you. What what was said or or wasn't said that uh, stood out to you? Uh, firstly, I tried to say they they give us only two options, right? If it's a leaders' debate, why aren't all the parties there? Because they don't want Good us point. listening. They don't want us listening to what is really there, or bring up real concerns. And it's Chris, pick Chris or pick Chris, depending on the color of the tie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a joke. I I actually when they talked about housing, they both had only one solution: let's build more houses, right? Um, 
they don't talk about inflation. They don't talk about interest rates. They don't talk about why they're opening up the borders, have 100,000 immigrants coming in, whereas they talk about building 40,000 homes. So you're in a deficit from the start. It's a joke. But the average person doesn't understand all of this. Our listeners do. So now they get the bigger picture. There was a mother in there who asked a question. She said she migrated here and she's got two young kids. And what was the best policy that both these, uh, no, sorry, they asked something and the best policy that these uh, parties could come up with, what they promised her for the future of New Zealand. And Labour said, we promise with the free dental care. And I think Christopher Luxton said something about the best education in the world. Aren't these beautiful taglines, mate? And the whole thing is if Labour has to go free dental care till the age of 30 or something along those lines, is that the best a prime minister of a country can promise its citizens free dental care till 30? Well, Where does the money come from? And that's not going to happen because, um, well, quickly anyway, because there's such an established dental infrastructure and lobby in this country that to unbundle that is uh, seriously difficult. The other thing is, um, you know, who has trouble with their teeth? Well, I'm 60 and I know a lot of older people who spend a lot of money on their teeth. Is there an assumption that their teeth are more healthy or that they have more money to spend on them? That's one thing. But but how? Here's what, I, here's what I'd say. I'd say number one priority for New Zealanders, to be free. Okay? Yeah, to be start. free. Read my lips. To be free. But none, none of that. No pledge for that. No. We were all born free, Paul. And um, this is this is the funny thing, is we think we aren't free. The day you actually release yourself from the perception that you're not free, they will take more and more advantage of it, right? Okay, so- no, I, I accept what you say. But what I mean is, okay, and something we'll be talking about on RCR very shortly, is all the surveillance cameras going into Wellington City. You yeah. know, that that's an example of freedom. Um, being cancelled on social media because you've got uh, instruments of the state looking at what you're saying, stopping you saying that. That's that's freedom. Stopping a, a Speak Up for Women campaigner, basically having the right to freely express, along with all the other women of New Zealand, their view, shut down, humiliated in customs, intimidated and treated badly by the police. Bloody freedom. Let's hear about it. Well, they don't want freedom, right? They want you to ask the government for help and these cameras. Where's the journalist? Where's the the journalist? We don't have any real journalists left in the. She doesn't even understand the concept. That's the problem. They don't. They don't. They've they've already been given a list of questions to ask as well, right? Um, But just talking about this, you were talking about freedom. The whole point is if they're going to try and bring in CBDCs, they need all the infrastructure in place beforehand. I I won't go offline right now, but you're talking about journalism. Journalism, true journalism doesn't exist anymore because true journalism has to be harsh and ask the right questions. And even the moderator yesterday on the debate was asking stupid questions. I will give you one simple example also again. With this whole dental thing, they got on a doctor who said, it's because of sugar. What they're trying to tell people is, yeah, 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 look, this is the problem. Sugar is the problem, so we should tax sugar. The government just needs an excuse to tax something. The first thing is, like, if you think about smoking, right? Smoking in Australia and New Zealand is so expensive, and we're talking about um, being uh, smoke-free. 
when does the government have a right to bloody tell you what you can or cannot put into your body, whether it's vaccines or cigarettes? Can the government tell you, oh, you're vegetarian? No, 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 you should eat meat. Oh, sorry, you eat meat, you should eat vegetables only. The government has no right to tell me what to do. The government should just keep countries safe, our borders safe uh, from... Uh, yeah, the uh, rule of law. The rule death. of law, that's it. And yeah. that is why I think Christopher Luxon won on that yesterday, because people are trying to uh, can see through where um, our society is kind of going down the wrong uh, track. He's, he's no supporter of freedom. Oh, of course he's not. Of he's course, a complete none of them fake. Are. Complete fake when it comes to that. I'm sorry. You could see that in the quick fire rounds, right? Both of them had the same answers. And not only the housing one, I was actually cooking dinner and it was just running in the background. The next one they said was climate change is coming up. Firstly, just one one quick one. Do you know what age they both bought their houses? At 24. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So at 24, they bought their houses and they cannot figure it still out. Why, why, why this is happening, right? And why people can't afford one in three Kiwis rent and they can't own their own house. And then and they've got multiple sell... houses, both of them. Like of course probably got do. more than, than the other Chrissy, but they've done pretty well out of not doing business. Yeah. And that's why they're not going to bring in a capital gains tax because it affects them as well. Of course it affects. And they said, oh, it's normal Kiwis doing that. Let's not go into that one. Right. Okay. But yeah. then they talked about climate change. And they both said, yes, we totally agree. This is a calamity. This is the kind of clown leadership we have where they all agree on the same thing. So what is the difference between your policy and mine? Or oh, I'll give free dental health care and I'll try and have better education in our country. So we've not had better education for so many years, but now they magically, if you just vote for me, our education system is going to improve so much. Our nurses are running off to Aussie because they get paid well. The education system out there is obviously retaining them. But my... It's a clown show. If you just give people two bad choices, they only can select out of those two bad choices. And I, I think the smaller parties are now starting to talk. I have a couple of uh, people have reached out to me and asked me if I'd like to join one of the smaller ones. I won't name any of them. But somebody even said, oh, you could be the next finance minister of New Zealand. And <laughs> I had a laugh about it. But I think what I'm trying to do through my messages, is raise awareness by simplifying it of how the system works. So at least this election's out of our hands. But hey, come the next election, maybe we can make a difference. Maybe well, the election after that, we can make a difference. But eventually yeah. this will turn around as citizens start waking up that they're getting screwed. Well, I'd like to think that. Let's hope so. Um, uh, you would have expected also, uh, you know, the kind of things that we talk about, some serious questions on on central bank digital currency of these two clowns, because that is something that's incredibly relevant, could happen at any moment, and then goes again, as we all know, to the heart potentially of the the, the innate uh, entitled freedoms that that we naturally all have. But I suppose the the host of the show probably has no clue about that. Of course, not. she's given she's given lines to speak speak to and talk about and that's what she's going to stick with it's it's funny you mentioned the cbdc because we had the g20 summit in india where they were uh running the presidency of the g20 this time and just last thursday is when they signed on um to impose digital currencies and digital ids on the respective populations so it's been signed in and all go. the g20 countries have agreed that this is going to happen and it says digital IDs and digital currencies. 
Now think about what comes next. Why do you think they're putting all this in place or cameras or what you can say and can't say? Because the more we talk about CBDC, the more people say, what is the CBDC? Most people hadn't heard of it. I think 10 or 15% now know what is going on. Um, just understand it is programmable money because we don't need a central bank digital currency because everything's digital right now anyways. Yep. So it, it it's I, I call CBDC a solution looking for a problem. Yeah, they've come up with a solution first to kind of monitor us and control us. And now they have to create the problem after the fact, because we already have digital currencies. We don't need a central bank digital currency. But that is how they can manipulate people. And just think of two words, programmable money. They can program it so you can't travel more than five kilometers from your house. They can program it so you can't buy something. They can program it so you can't say anything against the government. They might even program finds into it straight away so the minute you log on to your because you'll only have a digital id so now again think why do they want a digital id there might be a cyber attack as wef has already told us there could be a cyber pandemic and they'll blame it on someone and then you need a digital id now if you log in with your digital id and you have surfed something or you jumped on rcr and listened to rcr they could deduct some money straight away because that yep. is not an approved channel to listen or, to. Or, or or stop you from purchasing something um, or, or uh, timing out money over a certain period of time, all those things. I believe that in that debate, someone told me, I could be wrong, but uh, there was even a reference from, I think, Christopher Hipkins back to Christopher Luxon, <laughs> Chrissy and Chrissy, you know, that um, he's, he was starting to sound like an anti-vaxxer. Now, if you, if he still has those ideas, he needs to see a shrink. Mate, he all, needs to get some serious help because yeah. that's serious denial. That's very after serious. three years, after after two to three years, they're still denying this, and there's enough information out there that vaccines have called caused myocarditis, heart attacks, strokes, totally, um, all of that. Whether it's New Zealand, Australia, jump on New Zealand's own bloody website government website and i think they've they used to publish every fortnight or monthly uh data of the injuries caused and now they only publish it i think once a quarter so the numbers they don't want people to see it but every country has clearly told you this now um but you can't have politicians talking about it outright and the first yeah, but thing you I can't have is- them joking about it fars and making it a kind of a joke i met people at the nzd sos conference who have been seriously injured yes and it's yes. and had relatives, sons and daughters. I mean, I just tear up almost at thinking about it. And here is this guy riffing with it. How dare he? And and they 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 joke about it. If, and last it night, both the leaders actually said, "No, no, I agree with what they did at the first stage, but not the second stage." But how about saying, yeah? Well, that's the way of being half pregnant, right? Well, yeah. And and they're going to talk about well. None of them said that we shouldn't tell people, this is what I'm talking about, leadership, what they should put in their body. If I was standing for elections, I'd say it is not the government's business to tell you what to put in your bodies. And this is what I said, mate. We become a nanny state, not just us, Western democracies. We're yeah. going towards socialism because every citizen just wants the government, please tell us what to do so we can just do it. Mommy and, and daddy will help me. Exactly. Right? Mommy and daddy will help me. And over the next eight or 10 years, the system breaks down. People will realize the government's not there to look after you. It's only there to tax you, put it, be a burden on you. 
And the whole thing is they'll come out eventually, why is it come 2032 when the whole system collapses, that you have to fend for yourself and you have to have a backup plan for yourself rather than rely on the government to come and rescue you every time something goes wrong. And that has happened during your government bank bail-ins or your COVID thing. Our government said so, so it must be right. There's one thing where there's a funny saying out there which says, uh, when do you know that a politician's lying? When the lips are moving, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's point. a that's a good point that you make, and you're not the only one, but you've you've reiterated it. That if you're going to have a leaders debate, have some leaders. Don't have just two of your you know your picks of of your favorite you know your favorites of the moment for some entertainment show. No one's interested in that, really. Surely, what we want to do is see the contrast between the various people who are contending. Doesn't matter if they have a huge following or not. We want to see the contrast. It's like, you know, you see those Olympic races where the person who's running last all the time sprints in the last lap and kills them all. That can happen. But you never know if if, if the, they're not lined up against each other. So this is all just part of a game, isn't it? It's all part of a format. It's part of a game. It's not serious at all, really. Gosh, no, I sound not. like an old cantankerous old crusty old bugger, don't I? Well, you're not, mate. You're just letting people think of... It is. It is just a show. Just, just think about it. It's entertainment. It's not real. None of them really care about how the country is being run, because they both know they're going to have to take on more debt. They both know what's coming, given the WEF agenda, the central bank digital currency. What difference does it make whether you pick Chris or Chris? Yeah, well, it makes <laughs> no difference, and that's why I've always wondered. Well, not always, but in the the recent time where it's been apparent that uh, Labour particularly was on the skids in terms of their popularity rating, their poll rating, that there didn't seem to be much concern being shown by the leader. He seemed still quite jolly. That would depress the hell out of me if I was on a hiding to nowhere, and it would probably show that I was kind of defeated. I probably could keep up an act. But there's something there's something that's, uh, that's odd about that, and People are starting to talk now because there's so little between them to shut out the others. Why not have a grand coalition? They've been talking about it in Germany to shut out the AFD. We talked with them last week, actually. It was really interesting. But the establishment, you know, rallies round and and does what it needs to do to protect itself. And if the two traditional um, uh, competing parties have to get together to lock out the newbies or or anything that threatens that status quo, they might be able to do it. I'm not saying it's the most likely thing, but you could see with the little difference between them, the way they talk, they're basically on the same policy page no matter what. You, They could easily accommodate each other if they built a narrative that, you know, all the other parties are, are tinfoil hat crazies, they're a threat, you know, coalitions of chaos, We'll have to come together to stop that. You can kind of see that as a possible scenario, just saying. Yeah, if you just, it's, it's duopoly, right? So essentially what they're presenting yeah, duopoly. us is, yeah, yeah pick blue or pick red, that's the only two options. Um, what happened in America this year in the leaders' debate for Republicans, Donald Trump didn't even show up, he said, because you know it's all a show. Why would you argue against people who aren't even trying to have the great debates, right? They call it a debate, but it really wasn't a debate. It was just a show for the people to say, look, you these are your two options. The whole point is um, 
they can't save the country, mate. They can't save the country right now. And and let's be honest. Do you realize last time National was in power, John Key resigned just before the elections? Yeah, why why was that? Eh? This why is just always the case. Because he was out. in a winning position. Now, I understand there's a, you know, thinking that you go out while you're on top and people only remember you as a winner. So I get that. But he could have easily have taken that election and then um, slipped off. There's something about the timing of that. What was happening around that time? But you have to, so how do you get the country moving towards a 50-year goal if just one party keeps screwing it over? Let's say, for example, sorry for my language. Yeah. So every four, eight, 12 years, you have to change from the red to the blue, but the country still goes in the right direction because eventually citizens get really angry at the admin. And this is, I think, what has happened with Labour now. People are like, we've had enough. We just need a change. It doesn't matter what the change is. We just want to change. Yeah. So obviously, Jacinda moves out of the picture and you fill in the Job little, done. She done yeah, the you job. You fill in the gap for the time being. Yeah. And then he kind of knows he's not going to probably win, which I can tell you now, I don't even think it's going to matter. National's going to win it. Um, by how much in coalition and this and that, it doesn't really matter because the country is just being taken in the wrong direction. What I'm hoping is in three or four years when the next election comes around, I think 50% of Kiwis need to wake up and say, this is just ridiculous. And, and, and this time I was speaking to, as I said, someone reached out to me and said, hey, would you consider this and all of that stuff and politics and stuff? I've never really considered it, to be quite honest. But I said, my, my aim is to wake up people. So in three or four years time, we don't have this same rubbish running again and again. And she said, do you think it'll change in three or four years? And I said, yeah, during COVID, it didn't affect a lot of people. It affected the people who said no to vaccines and no to the government telling us where to look and what to do. Um, but when everybody's money goes missing, and they've been told how to live yeah, their life. They won't like that, no. They will not like that. And when they've you've been told, hey, we're going through socialism and UBI and central bank digital currency, that is when most people will start waking up. Obviously, you'll still have people saying, government, please help us, please help us. But then what we're saying now, as I, whatever I've said in the webinar a year back, people are still reaching out and saying, shit, we've been following you from then. Um Everything you're saying is kind of right. You've connected the dots really well. So that's the whole thing. We would be able to go back in two or three years and say, Fazan had said this three years back, and this is exactly what happened. So hopefully, by the time the next election comes up, people say, this wasn't that hard to see. You could see it coming. Let's vote for honest politicians who are going to tell us the truth and get the country back on track. Because Well, that's the uh, National Party um, slogan, and back on track. You just well, they both this. well back on track. <laughs> you just quoted this. <laughs> oh, is it? But yeah, but I mean, literally it for you, back on track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, you know, I was driving down the motorway the other day, and there was a national big billboard and saying, "We let you keep more of your tax dollars." And I'm like, "Oh, aren't you so generous? We let you. Yes, keep more of your. Daddy will so, let you. They they they're gonna take thirty cents in a dollar." And then they're going to give you back $250 a week, right? This is the mockery of what they know because people assume taxes have always been around, but the system collapsed. And well, why, well, they, why do they want CBDC, mate? People are lucky because... I'm not in charge, Farzan, because it'd be a, a instant um, cold turkey austerity like you've never seen before for a period of time to hit the reset. I, I wouldn't let people starve 
and go ultra poor, I would gut the public service. Sorry, it's all over. The ride's over. Minimum public service now to the absolute bare minimum. It would be an austerity shock, but we need to have it. It would be tough. Um, and it would, but I think it would uh, be over in a relatively short period of time, two, three, four years, and we could sort of get things right again. I don't know if that's just a dream, but what would you make of that approach? Well, it's not that easy. Yes, austerity is good. Uh, obviously, living within our means, so as I said, as a country, as a family, if you're earning 100 bucks, firstly, the government takes 30, so you're left with 70 with the rising cost of living. Uh, you can't afford much. But the whole point is, even if you, some of the richest billionaires say, I pay myself first. So out of those 100 bucks, you put 10 bucks aside every week or fortnight in your savings account, and then you spend whatever you have left. As a country, we should be doing that as well. Yeah. Whereas we go, are we earning 100? We'll, ch- we'll spend 140, um, and we're going it, to, it's just future taxpayers who are paying this, right? So it is not sustainable, but it's not that easy because infrastructure has to be maintained. You can well, see. no, we can do that, and the, and that's yeah. where your jobs come from. Exactly, and a, and a lot of them would have to go back to manual labor because that's how we can employ a lot of people. This is not forever. We built the country in that way in the first place. So and that is good done. spending. And that is even if you do deficit spending for that, I know austerity, but even if you do deficit spending on something that improves infrastructure, yeah, well, that would then be it's the goal. good sense. But not spending what five billion, a half a billion, whatever that amount was on COVID vaccines in advance. No, no, is, no that would all go. That would yeah. part of my and, thing would be to reinvent the health system as quickly as possible as well. And I think it's it's just think about this. Why does everything go up? So costs go up. So in America, because the government gives you a student loan, okay, to go to university, that same course, which used to cost them 10,000 is now costing 40, 50,000. So if the government backstops an industry, the industry has no incentive, but to cut it costs, right? So even the medical health system, it's the same bureaucracy and the rubbish is because in Eastern countries, you have to have your own health insurance. Whereas out here, we've just promised this surgery and that surgery. And now even something like a yeah, dental but, but problem. We promote an unhealthy way of living, which costs us more money. And we can turn that around quite easily, actually. Um, it's, uh, you know, obviously you have to go against uh, sort of long entrenched habits and ways of doing things. But at some point, you're going to have to do it anyway because you're going to be on your knees no matter what. Well, it is. It is. And that's what's coming over the next few years. Governments that have made promises will not be able to keep their promises. In fact, let's just touch on one one more thing. Um, what yep. we mentioned I've had, about I've had my the US. Rant now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just com- you would get pissed off. Sorry for my language. Please uh, cut that out. Um, yes, you would be aggrieved with your government if... Um, they're just wasting your money, right? And they say we're going to give you five hundred million on rat tests, Farzan. Never forget yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. But they would have bought a few things. It just shows you how this is unattainable. Because a couple of weeks back, we spoke about the U.S. debt and the U.S. problem, and what I'd mentioned was a uh, quickly approaching thirty-three tr- trillion. So today, let's celebrate. America has. And how long did that take? That took hundreds of years, right? Yeah. So from seventeen seventy-six again, just for listeners to from 1776 when the u.s was founded it took 205 years for them to accumulate the first trillion in 1981 right and then what we said was uh from october 22 to september 23 it took them two years to get the next trillion i have a headline for you guys uh, they've just managed to do another trillion in three months 
Three so months. Can- three months. It's 56 billion a day. It becomes meaningless after a while, actually. It is. It is. And this is what, what, what is happening is I've told people there's a snowball effect or an exponential effect where it just takes a life of its own and it just snowballs out of hand. And I think last week we said we talk about the debt, how the, it, there is no way out of this. The debt, debt market collapses, which means the governments can't borrow any more bonds or the currency collapses. So we'll probably do that next week because I've also done some, a little more digging in on, uh, what I told people that the Reserve Bank of New Zealand itself is broke. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the equity. government coughed up five hundred million for them, didn't they? Well, they had to. Well, that's to show up their balance sheet, as I mentioned. So, yeah. uh, I'll give people just a teaser. Or if you look at the Reserve Bank's balance sheet, it says the net assets equity as of today is three point seven um, uh, billion. This is their uh, net assets to equity. As I said to people, they're upside down. But some people, if they have access to the Reserve Bank's website, um, on the asset side, they have a crown indemnity for LSAP program, another acronym for you. It's LSAP, which is the LSAP program. Okay. And what that is, is essentially, as I've told you, the government uh, issues bonds, banks might buy them, and then the Reserve Bank of New Zealand buys them off back from the banks. Now, when the Reserve Bank itself is increasing interest rates, the bond value drops and it's a loss on their balance sheet. So they have 7.4 billion of crown indemnity on the asset side. And in spite of that, the net assets equity is 3.7. So can you imagine if they didn't have that 7.4 billion on their balance sheet, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is 4 billion in the hole. Do we know something that happened with four billion a couple of weeks back? Okay. Yeah, no, they um, that that was a savings target, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Let's leave so it. No, that. no, co- no, no coincidence. No conspiracies, but no coincidences either. No. So the one. LSAP, just for people in New Zealand to una- learn another acronym, is large scale asset purchase, right? Okay. So yeah. the large scale asset purchase program involves the Reserve Bank of New Zealand buying New Zealand government bonds from banks in the secondary market in exchange for electronically created money. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And what I've just told people is this LSAT indemnity on the Reserve Bank's balance sheet on the asset side. I just want to read this from the Reserve Bank's website. The crown, What is the LSAT indemnity? The Crown has agreed to indemnify the Reserve Bank in respect to financial losses associated with the LSAT program. Under the letter of indemnity issued by the Minister of Finance, the Crown will reimburse the bank for any net losses from the LSAP program and conversely, any surplus from the program must be paid to the crown. So now what I've just told you is with the Reserve Bank of New Zealand increasing interest rates, the bonds are losing value. There's a 7.4 billion hole that now the government owes the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Can yeah. people connect the dots? So Reserve Bank of New Zealand itself as balance sheet is broke. Without that journal into a 7.4 billion, it is four billion in the hole. Sounds like a money go round ultimately to me. It just makes it just go journal round. entries. It's just journal entries. Me and you have to work for money. The average Kiwi has to go out and work 40, 50 hours a week for earning this credit money. And they just do journal entries, mate. Let's call it wow. creative accounting. Okay, well, let's leave it there. And we'll come back next week and, and talk more about that. Again, remind folks, Faz, and how to get in touch with you. 
Yes, sure. As I've mentioned, it's successsimplified.life. And um, I wouldn't mind just mentioning something, Matt. There's a lot of people who have reached out to me and they said, obviously, I was thinking about it's only some of my clients who get all of this information. So I'm thinking about doing a newsletter, maybe a weekly newsletter. I wouldn't mind people to give us some feedback. Obviously, there'll be a charge to it because there's a lot of research and stuff and there'll be weekly articles and a video of the week to watch uh, on YouTube and stuff if you're so uh, inclined to do so. So I'm thinking of launching a newsletter. Uh, so the average Kiwi can also afford that and get some up-to-date information from week to week. Um, and I'd mentioned early on in our conversations that I will start doing some roadshows. So there's quite a few people from Tauranga who have also reached out and asked me if I could start doing those. So watch this space come summer. I'll maybe try and do some events where people can see me in person, yeah. talk to me, and we can have these kind of roadshows where we can openly talk about these things as well. Uh, but yeah, the website successsimplified.life. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Farzan, for another really interesting program. We'll do it all again in a week, okay? Yeah, no worries, mate. Take care. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.